On this week's episode of the Triple Double Podcast, we discuss episode 7 and 8 of The Last Dance and welcome our guest, JJ Buck, who is the host of The Morning Drive on 95.9 FM and AM 610 D-Sports Animal in Albuquerque, New Mexico, which airs 7 to 10 AM Mountain Time. Welcome to another episode of the Triple Double Podcast. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Hey, what's up, man? Good to be back with you for another week of the last dance. For sure. Um, we're almost we're in the home stretch, man. Um, are you going to be sad Gosh, that already. this is almost over? Yeah, a little bit. It's it's been fun reliving some of these moments. Uh, by the way, before we get rolling on this, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, how How's your weekend been? It's been good, man. Um, just, you know, just spending time with uh, loved ones, even though um, this, uh, we're in these circumstances that we're in now. Just trying to make the best out of a kind of a weird situation. Um, but it's still a great Mother's Day. My mom enjoys her gifts. Um, as long as she gets her Amazon gift card, um, kind of her um, kind of bath stuff, she's she's taken care of. So awesome. So um, let's just take care of some housekeeping issues. Uh, you can always catch the podcast on a variety of podcasting uh, platforms. So we're available on Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts, along with TuneIn Radio and Radio Public as well. Um, so there's really um, any kind of uh, podcasting um, catcher you prefer we're on that um, we welcome feedback so if you have any questions gripes positive feedback negative feedback um just email us triple double podcast at gmail.com um leave us a rating on itunes positively or negatively and you can always find us on facebook just type in uh, triple double podcast so man um let's get into it um episode seven episodes eight um, episode seven um, really was broken up into kind of three separate parts. Um, the first part really um, focused on Michael Jordan, um, just with his relationship with his father, just some really just heart wrenching stuff. Just considering what happened um, to um, his dad um, at the, kind of the ending of the relationship. Um, what was your thoughts of that footage? Um, did you learn anything that you didn't learn before? Um, did it kind of hit those emotional beats that was the documentary was trying to look for? I think they did a great job. Again, this is an area where, as as we've talked about before, I mean, this was a case where I, I knew the story about Jordan's father. Seeing the headlines of what many of those reporters who didn't know Michael Jordan were writing about his possible involvement in gambling being the cause of his father's death, I think that was the most jarring part to me because I already knew about his father's death and things like that. But to blame that death on Michael Jordan or just throw out this baseless speculation was really jarring. And I, I just felt for Michael Jordan and I could sympathize a little bit more with his retirement in 93. What about for you? Did this open up any any new insights uh, in how that all went down? Um, I think it really opened up how MJ was at peace with retirement from basketball because when i was younger um i was really confused i didn't know why he was leaving he just won a title i didn't understand why he would 
leave at the top of his powers. You just expected Michael Jordan to win. Uh, being an adult and understanding the pain of loss, understanding a relationship with your father, it made a lot more sense. So in that respect, it kind of connected the dots to an older version of myself compared to when I was younger. You know, all I wanted was Jordan to play forever. Um, you know, his personal life meant little to nothing to me because I was a kid. So um, I think even though I knew about the stuff like you did, Matt, I think you're certainly right. A lot of the information, I think, was known to a lot of fans that followed this. And that's been our kind of gripe throughout this entire documentary. Um, at the same time, I think just seeing Jordan get emotional, seeing him just really show love for his father um, was really touching to me. So um, I was happy to, to see that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know, if you followed Jordan in those early years, which with with our ages, I mean, I didn't really get to see Jordan win a title until that like 93-94 or I'm sorry, 92-93 season when they beat the Suns was kind of my first experience with that. But Jordan's father was always there with him in those title celebrations, obviously. So it it was very clear throughout his entire career how close he was to his father, how much of an inspiration his father was to him. Um, so, yeah, I think they did a really good job of of laying that all out and, and how that went down and how devastating that was. Uh, even showing, you know, footage from Jordan at his, his father's funeral and everything. So very... Very touching part of this documentary, for sure. Absolutely. Um, and that kind of transitions to um, the rumors of the secret suspension and why he retired from the first place. I even heard of this being as a little kid, that there was some kind of conspiracy as to the real reason why Jordan retired, just because David Stern suspended him. Um, just to keep it kind of on, on the down low, um, I think I agree with JJ. Uh, just a, just an insane accusation. Um, one of the, the biggest cash cows, one of the reasons why the NBA was propelled to superstardom in the 90s. And all of a sudden with David Stern, as the documentary put it, such a capitalist would just put him on the sidelines. Doesn't really make any sense to me. I mean, like JJ said, you do the opposite. You would protect him, bury this under the rug, and just hope it goes away. Um, so <laughs> that's what these, these rumors, I think, were, were fairly ridiculous, in, in my opinion. Yeah, and if anything, you're not banning him for a whole season when he just won a title, especially if you can't prove, if you have no dirt that he was betting on basketball games specifically, I don't think you suspend a guy just for gambling. It, it would have to be sports-related gambling for sure, and and there wasn't any any really concrete evidence of that, at least that, that I'm aware of. Yeah, totally. I agree. Um, what did you think at the beginning of the um, episode with uh, Craig Sager asking that question um, re regarding just uh, Jerry Krause being the backstabber? Um, I didn't catch that was Craig Sager until I saw it on Twitter. Um, I thought that was kind of a really interesting clip to start off the episode. Yeah, and then something that didn't really get touched on for the rest of the episode. It, it was just kind of there. Obviously, it, it grabs your attention and pulls you in. Uh, as they've done a good job of in both the beginning and end of episodes here. Um, but yeah, that, I didn't realize until you pointed out to me that it was Craig Sager. I, of course, heard him say uh, Craig and, you know, like good going Craig or whatever it was that 
that the fellow <laughs> journalist said to him. Um, but it's it's interesting because, you know, it it shows that, um, I mean, of course, Jerry Krause did have this side of him that that was a little bit um, backstabbing. Some some could put it that way, maybe. Or you could also say shrewd businessmen if you wanted to be a little more positive about it. But, you know, you see kind of his anger and, and perhaps there was some truth to it. For sure. Um, and I just think, you know. It was a lot of, I think, animosity, I'm sure, with the journalists, too. I mean, you know, journalists, they want to play it cool, right? They want to think that they're unbiased and that they have no emotions. But I bet they were really angry that this, the, one of the greatest teams ever was splitting up. And this guy was an architect. And not only that, he wasn't hiding from it either. Um, he he put his really put his feet, foot in the sand and saying, we're breaking up this team. And I don't really care what the media or anybody else thinks. Um, so... I think there's just a lot of animosity by fans, by players, by the media at Jerry Krause. Um, it had to very be a very, very just stressful time um, to, to say the least for him. Yeah, and almost a sense of pride in in breaking up that dynasty in in a weird, twisted kind of way. Agreed. Um, I want to break down also just the energy that Jordan uh, really up to that point that was taken out of them because again, transporting my younger self and watching his documentary, you know, I was very privy to only his championships. You know, I have really no recollection of his career prior to 1990. So he had a pretty much a a brilliant career, a hall of fame career leading to his first retirement. So when you put that into context, that's a long time. That's a lot of physical punishment, a lot of just mental pressure that he was just burnt out and just needed something else to do. So I think it does make sense why he wanted to, to play baseball. Um, did you learn anything else? That's, I mean, like kind of um, hitting the, um, you know, hitting the same beats over and over again about kind of knowing about the same information, but in terms of the Jordan baseball stuff, in terms of kind of him seeking that void that was, you know, left by his father, did you learn anything from seeing that footage with him playing baseball? No, I think this is another one of the points in that documentary. I mean, well, I take it back. I mean, some of the interaction with, his teammates, uh, like in the dugout and in the locker room, you saw that you saw Jordan, I think feeling maybe a sense of relief that he doesn't have to be the alpha, not to say that he wasn't going in there working hard. I mean, they have plenty of examples of how hard he was training, but he probably knew, or I would hope he knew that he wasn't the baseball expert in the room. He wasn't the, the top man on, on the totem pole, so to speak. So, um, I think, you know, you got to see this this side of Jordan as one of the guys in the locker room. And they did have a, a talk about how that was kind of a relief to him to be on the road and be one of the guys. So I think some of that was a little bit new. Uh, but again, this is one of those cases where we have a documentary about Michael Jordan and those that season where he was he was playing baseball. So there is um, a lot of info out there about this certainly fascinating time period, the greatest basketball player arguably of all time joining a baseball team. I, I mean, absolutely, it's compelling stuff. And there is a lot out there in terms of other media and documentaries you can watch about that. Uh, what about you? Did you get any new takeaways from that segment? 
Um, not really. Um, I'm on the same page as you, Matt. Um, like you just mentioned, there's a great documentary, Jordan Rides the Bus. It discusses yep. all of this um, in great detail. So if you want to learn about Jordan's um, baseball adventure, there you go, um, right there. And I, I just felt looking at this, I thought it was... I thought the only reason why this was somewhat valid was to see kind of the rise of Scottie Pippen um, being the leader of the Bulls now and just having that phenomenal season. And just to seeing, which I didn't know, um, just seeing him with that, um, the setting of that playoff series against the New York Knicks and just to see, you know, him quit. Like he wouldn't go on the floor. Like just a, this unbelievable, just um, heart wrenching. Um, situation in which, you know, hey, he put his ego, um, you know, in front of the team. And then he said in the interview, he said he wouldn't change anything, which I thought was interesting. And I deserved a follow up. Like, where's the follow up question to that? Like, he he just left it alone. That was just uh, that was unbelievable. I think that was one of the most shocking things I saw in that episode. I I think that's the shock. One of I think that's the most shocking statement of this documentary so far. Sure. It doesn't have anything to do with Jordan, but that was you're right. That was jarring in its own way and they just sped right through that did you were you aware of pippin sitting on the bench like that for the last play before this documentary i did um i was i was not privy to that let alone the whole thing about kukox being so clutch and it worked um right i was wondering with that too like I mean, with all of that footage about Kukos hitting those clutch shots, I wonder if that took a toll on Scotty too. I mean, even though he was having his MVP season, like he he took it personal that you know Kukos was going to take that final shot. Um, and I, I'm wondering if maybe that kind of possibly haunted him throughout the rest of his career too, being kind of the second fiddle. I wonder. I'm sure they won't address that because we've seen instances where Scotty has kind of been irritated. Um, at some points that Michael's been kind of always given the credit and he's kind of been seeing as the second banana at some points. We've seen kind of Scotty lash out. So kind of um, seeing this happen in the playoffs, it's, it's not too surprising if you connect the dots. Yeah, it's a really bad moment. <laughs> Scotty Pippen, I mean, to put it to put it lightly, does does not good. It does not. um sit well over time does not look good to this day that he rode the bench, especially in the context of the nineties. I think in the two thousands, you get some more players that are uh, more temperamental, maybe more hot heads or, or wild personalities like that, that maybe a little more sensitive, some would say than, than those in the nineties and the eighties. So this happening in the mid-90s when this is now, quote-unquote, Pippen's team, really uh, <laughs> just a, a really bad look. And I, I'm shocked, as we've already mentioned, that, that he did not just flat out say, I regret that. Because I think that makes him look better, too, if he says that. I would take that back. Sure. Yeah, that was, that was very, very, very um, surprising to see that. Um, I want to talk about kind of the other um really stark scene in my mind that was jordan at the final scene this um stopping the interview and getting emotional uh, about his competitive drive about basketball um and that was something kind of unexpected to see um i expected him to be 
have a strong opinion, but they get really emotional. Um, I think besides his, I don't know if we, I don't know if you remember him getting emotional about his dad passing away. Um, but to that level to stop the interview is just because of that. Um, what did what did you think? Did, did that stand out, did stand out to your mind just to see him pretty much stop the interview, just talking about his competitive fervor and just about basically if you're not with me, you know, you can go to hell. Um, you need to have the same dedication as I do um, in terms of wanting to win. Right, right. You're talking about the very end of episode seven when Correct. he says you're you're coming here to play to win, and that's how I play. And if you don't want to play that way, that's fine, but I'm here to win. And then he says, break. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I think that is one of those clips that you could take and just really show Jordan in a microcosm. Like if you want to show Jordan in one clip, in one statement, that may be it that, that he produces right there. Because you see how much it means to him to play the game that way and that there is, in his mind, a right way and a wrong way to play the game. And that's, I mean, that's what he built the whole empire on. Um, so, yeah, I think, I think that was very effective. And I'm glad that they ended the episode on that. I mean, that was just one of the best. And, and Jordan, as we've said all along, has been money on this podcast on, or I'm sorry, this documentary on his interviews. And that was one of his best statements. It was. Um, and it comes right before the whole section. And probably one of my favorite parts of this entire documentary was about Scott Burrell. Um, and the, and no dunks, um, their NBA podcast touched on this through their recaps. Um, I'm glad they, they focus a lot on this because it was basically um, Michael Jordan really just giving Scott Burrell, his teammates, such a hard time, um, just saying he's such a nice guy, uh, but just didn't have that fervor, that drive. Um, and Michael Jordan forced it out of him. Like, he wanted Burrell to fight him, um, kind of like what happened with Steve Kerr. Um, and yet Burrell didn't kind of do that. Um, what were your thoughts of that? Because Jordan was really an antagonizer. Um, and I think this is part of the documentary, maybe that he was afraid of, of being kind of known as maybe a jerk, as kind of this tyrant. But it's interesting to kind of to hear that comment about him worrying about his public persona, because in the documentary, he's very unapologetic about it. Um, he is very staunch. So um, I'm wondering why he said that about worrying about his public persona. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a PR kind of thing. Jordan just just worried about offending people with his competitiveness it's it's a different time in 2020 than it was in the 90s let's just be honest about that some of that is good (laughs) that's true some of that is is bad in my opinion but we won't get into that too much but um i think there's there's no need for him to say that really jordan is famous because of success on the court like i said that that quote from earlier is what built the empire and these are the things and Every teammate that went through, except maybe B.J. Armstrong a little bit, but every teammate seemed grateful for that competitive attitude. We we see Jordan and Pippen compared, which I thought was great to hear about what is Pippen like as the leader. And he's very much like a, a pick you up off the floor kind of guy, pat you on the back, you know, comfort you kind of guy, whereas Jordan is the exact opposite. He's 
maybe going to like pick you up and shove you back down <laughs> during practice just to toughen you up. You don't know. But specifically the clips with Scott Burrell that you mentioned, I, you know, I don't think anything about that looked all that bad. And in my opinion, Jordan comes off as like the, the big brother, the tough love big brother. I mean, a lot of that interaction, you know, Scott Burrell is laughing. You know, a lot of the stuff on the court sure is, is physical and Jordan's antagonizing, no doubt about that. But a lot of it is is trash talk that if you've ever been on a sports team, you're you're used to a little bit of trash talk, maybe not on Jordan's level, certainly. But that's that's kind of teammate interaction there. And I think Jordan was able to just dial that up and make it more intense, like certainly we'll get to later, I'm sure, in episode eight, the Steve Kerr fight. Um, But, you know, I, I didn't see that anything negative really about that whole sequence with scott burrell i mean unless you really get offended at at the language but they warn you about that when the documentary starts i don't know do you have any other thoughts on that no i'm uh i'm right there with you i i agree um i think it goes with that kind of uh team sports mentality um because you knew his other teammates that that tough love and practice resulted in winning and also too like jordan wasn't a complete jerk a hundred percent of the time i mean there was camaraderie there so it wasn't like this guy was some kind of like emotional robot and and it was kind of weird because they kind of alluded to that in earlier championships like this guy never showed any emotion but you see him in the locker room he's just like any one of the guys like he's there gambling with the security staff i mean gambling is a form of camaraderie like it you know you're hanging out smoking cigars i mean he wasn't so much like kobe and when she just went into his locker room and didn't talk to anybody um i got the sense jordan hung out with a lot of people i mean look at all the time he played golf with ron harper i mean Mm -hmm. this i mean he really i think what helped him in that practice situation is that he kind of had his teammates respect that hey like this is gonna be terrible in practice he's gonna be a jerk here but at the end of the day, like, I still like this guy because I like hanging with him and also because he's the greatest player ever. So those are two factors. I think if he was just like a complete jerk 100 percent of the time, I think this would be a completely different story, in my opinion, because he couldn't relate to him. He, I mean, you wouldn't know really what, what he was doing, but it was clear what he was doing in those practices. So it made you bring up your talent to his level. Um, so I think the resentment uh, for a lot of players didn't really exist because you knew you knew the expectations of you before you got there um and also too i think he really made an effort to really talk to every single guy not only that but also fans as well so it was really hard to just hate him um just because of the practices yeah and it didn't seem like there was a whole lot i mean we talked a little bit about horace grant last episode but it really didn't seem like even in the horace grant case it didn't seem like there was a lot of jordan driving teammates out of town a la Kobe Bryant driving Shaq out of town over their battle for who's the boss of this team. Didn't really see that. I think Jordan describes it as we are getting ready for battle. We are, I want you to be in the trenches with me during practice so that when we go to war, so to speak, in, in the playoffs or when this really gets dialed up and teams are coming at you, you are ready for what we're going to be facing. As, as he put it, if you can't handle me in practice – how are you going to handle someone that really wants you to to fail, to choke under the big lights? 
Yeah, that's exactly right. It was basically um, the dress rehearsal before kind of the main performance. Um, so if you had basically everything terrible happen in practice, um, you were prepared um, for kind of the main event, which was the game. Uh, was there any episode, other thoughts on episode seven before we move into episode eight? No, I don't think so. They they really covered a lot in that episode that was off the court stuff. It was necessary getting into the retirement and all that. They The other thing I'll say is they did a good job of showing how monumental that retirement announcement was, how that affected not just the basketball world, the world in general. I really appreciated the clip that they showed of the press crowding because I've seen plenty of footage and of that retirement announcement, but to see what that room looked like behind that, that stage space where you have reporters way up in the balcony. Uh, it was, it was pretty amazing how monumental that was. And of course we already know that, but you just really get a good sense of what that was like. Yeah, I totally agree. Um, shifting to episode eight, um, we see um, Michael Jordan just have the struggles of returning to basketball after his stint in baseball. And it, it's quite amazing that he just decides, well, I'm just going to come back. Um, you know, baseball is just, you know, they're dealing with the, with the strike right now. And I'm not in basketball shape, but, you know, I'm Michael Jordan and I'll just return. <laughs> um, just it's unbelievable to, to, to see that even though we know the story um, just to see him really accomplish what he did without being in true basketball shape is incredible. Um, what was your impressions of just him kind of having to get his body acclimated to the competitiveness of the NBA, um, even though he was gone for relatively a short time, but still when he came back, he had his struggles. I mean, he, he didn't win the title, um, got defeated by the Orlando Magic, struggled. Um, like the sports center anchors said, it was like Muhammad Ali taking a punch, getting knocked out. Um, we've <laughs> never seen that before. Um, so what was your thoughts to seeing really arguably the most vulnerable part of Jordan's career while he was with the Bulls? Well, I think you see... You know, for myself, I'm someone who has a background in in training and sports-specific conditioning. You really see pronounced that baseball is a specialist sport. Basketball, one of the reasons that basketball is my favorite sport is you have to be able to do everything. And you don't have to be like a, a proficient jump shooter necessarily, like especially in the 90s era of basketball. But you need to be able to run the court at all times. You need to be very agile, whether you are an offensive or defensive specialist. And even if you are an offensive specialist, you better be able to have the agility to stay with someone on defense or you're getting subbed right out. Uh, so I think that that is a big takeaway from from my lens. And I mean, that's that's obvious to anyone who has played baseball and basketball you know even even not at a very high competitive level uh baseball is very much reaction if if you're a hitter or a very specialized skill like if you are a catcher or a pitcher especially uh whereas basketball as i mentioned you have to have an overall set of skills that that has to have a higher baseline uh than you would in baseball like for example if you're playing first base 
you don't need to know how to throw a slider. Um, so I think that is a big takeaway. And, and so when you train for something specific like baseball, you train for reaction time on that pitch. Uh, and, I, and I'm glad we're bringing this up because I, I think Jordan should be applauded for his success as a baseball player and how hard he worked on that. I've never understood when people criticize Jordan for playing baseball, um, even taking away the retirement from basketball thing and how good he was at that. He, he deserves tremendous respect for the success that he had at baseball. You know, I mean, yes, he was not a baseball all-star, but incredible that he was able to transition over there and do what he did. Um, but I, I think, yeah, you notice in the playoffs with Orlando, they showed highlights in the documentary. They did a good job of showing kind of he doesn't have his basketball legs under him yet, so to speak. He just wasn't able to condition himself. And I think in fairness to and Bill Simmons and Ryan Rosillo touched on this this past week in their podcast. In, in fairness, they probably don't beat that Orlando Magic team anyway just because they don't have that defensive threat that they had, that defensive and rebounding specialist since Horace Grant was on the Magic at this point. Yeah, that's true. Um, I think I know the reason why there was a lot of resentment about Jordan playing baseball. I think it's because journalists and fans want to control i think athletes greatness they feel like they have ownership over you so especially with jordan he's the biggest arguably just icon not just sports icon just icon in general in the 90s so when he does something that is not in in its field um i think people take it personally and i think especially baseball it kind of came out of no pun intended left field um for a lot of people so when he was when he was participating in this, I think a lot of people did just kind of the same thing with LeBron going to the, the heat a little bit, kind of like you, you're not, sure. know, you're not doing what we want you to do. We hate you now. Um, so I think there was just a lot of resentment at that time, but you listen to the documentary, like he's doing what he loves. Like he, the guy won three titles in a lip, you know, and he's an Olympic champion, um, several time all-star. I mean, he could do whatever the crap he wants. Like just, I mean, it's just really <laughs> true, true sympathy. Like leave the guy alone, man. Like if he wants to fail playing baseball, so be it. Like, I don't know. It just seemed like people just seem to have, try to have ownership over somebody else's life. And it's just, just ridiculous. In my opinion. I think you're spot on there. And to your point, I would ask this, what sport what what journalists of which sport are most sensitive about their history and tradition? That's true. Baseball. baseball. I, I, I would yeah. argue baseball, <laughs> maybe yeah. hockey, maybe soccer to an extent, but specifically the history and the tradition of the sport. I, I would argue baseball. Yeah, that's true. It's true. And it also, it seems like a lot of those um, figures around him that when he was playing baseball respected him. Um, you rarely hear anybody disparage him in terms of the effort he gave while he was participating in that sport. He gave it 110% while he was there. Um, his comeback, like you said, um, didn't go according to plan. Um, ultimately, you're right. Um, they get knocked out, um, taken out by the Atlanta Magic. Um, one of the favorite parts of this documentary is the Space Jam discussion. Um, I'm glad that made it in there. I'm glad that yeah. Jordan Doe made it in there. Can you put in the context, Matt, what did Space Jam mean 
to really the, the 90s kid because I think a lot of just millennials now, I mean, even though we're millennials too, I guess later millennials, whatever the whatever the heck they're calling generational people these days. Um, what, is, what did that movie mean? Because I think for us, it just meant like we're seeing all these NBA players and also, you know, these cartoon characters all kind of collide um, in this one setting. Um, can you kind of put in the context what that movie meant? Because I think now this seems kind of ridiculous. When you watch it on Netflix, you're saying, like, what is going on here? This seems insane. Um, what did that movie kind of mean um, to you? And also, can you kind of just kind of put in context you kind of a younger generation? You know, this this movie is basically just Hollywood's acknowledgement that Michael Jordan is awesome and Michael Jordan is the 90s. And I think that's really the main thing that you need to know about Space Jam is Michael Jordan owned the 90s. That's how this movie gets made. It has a terrible story. Uh, and and <laughs> please, please know that I love this movie. It, it has a terrible story. <laughs> <Me too. laughs> it has an incredible cast. So you have incredible actors agreeing to partake in this basically because Michael Jordan's awesome. And they probably figured the movie was going to be a cash cow. Uh, but Jordan is, is so iconic that you have all these things um, kind of coincide. And uh, I, I'm glad you brought this up. And I'm glad the documentary brought this up because I watched this movie with my children uh, about two weeks ago. And I will say that they were very confused. Part of that is <laughs> that bet. they had never seen Looney Tunes before. So you're mm-hmm. you're introducing that to them. They had really only seen bits and pieces of of Michael Jordan. They're they're very young, so I think we can forgive them for that. Uh, but now, when I watch the documentary, they ask me if Space Jam is on, so that's kind of funny. Um, but I will say that you know this movie probably doesn't translate for you very well if you are like ten to fifteen years old right now watching this movie. You are probably very confused about what's going on, especially if you have some of those other things going on, like you don't know who Looney Tunes are, et cetera, which I'm sure many kids in in that generation do not know. Uh, But just the fact that you have like (laughs) Bill Murray, and and I recognize that Danny DeVito is the kind of alien main big boss villain. Uh, I mean, you have such such huge names. Uh, And of course, NBA legends, I loved the soundtrack when I was a kid, and you have some great musicians on that soundtrack as well. Uh, so basically, it's it's just the cult of personality around Michael Jordan. I completely agree. Um, and also, he kind of has used this movie, too, to scatter opponents um, with the Jordan Dome. Um, those yeah. games are in lore. Um, you saw some footage from that. That that was very cool. Um, and really, he used it to his advantage. Just he invited all these players, and I think it really showed how much the rest of the league respected Michael too. That's another thing too that I think if we're comparing, you know, players from another era, era, I just I don't think. I think this is one of the most important thing aspects to consider is that his opponents respected Michael. Um, they would work out with him, and they were his friends, and. It's rare because now you see they're more like a kind of more of a friendship. You don't, I don't think you see that reverence of somebody else's game. I don't, I don't see you see LeBron James's peers respect him as much. Right. Um, I think they respect him as a leader of the league, 
But in terms of his actual playing ability, it's just not the same as Michael. And that goes for Kobe, too. Um, I think now it's for Kobe, but certainly back then that there wasn't it wasn't that same reverence for Kobe Bryant. Like Jordan had that in his playing days, and he had that in 1993, um, mm-hmm. pretty much, and all the way to his you know second retirement. So it, it, it's just really amazing just to see how you know his rivals would just go just play with him, you know, in randomly in the summer. Like, are you kidding me? Like this, like this is your main rival, and yet you're going to play with this guy um, in the off season. I just thought that was really incredible. Yeah, I think I think you've had some of the collaboration like the the summer after LeBron beat Kevin Durant's Thunder at the time to win his first NBA title. There there were reports of them getting together and working out together. But certainly you're right in that it's it's different in that Jordan and I, and I think that's why most people consider Jordan the greatest is that he had this level of separation uh compared to the other competition around him where he really was just up on this higher pedestal. Um, And and they dove a lot into that fear that teams had for him and and other players uh, in this episode eight. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I guess let's get to it. The fight with Steve Kerr. This has been a story that has been um, Mm. in lore for years. We got both sides. Uh, what were your overall impressions um, just of this story? I mean, we kind of really know what went down. Um, it, again, is this going to really change anything in terms of the public perception of Michael Jordan? And also, really, Jordan is kind of losing his cool. Like, he, he punched out Steve Kerr. Like, you would, especially at this point of his career, you would just expect him to have a little bit more of a cerebral mindset. And, that, and yet, he has lost his cool here. Yeah, and he hadn't, uh, I mean, he had had that Orlando Magic series loss. So it's kind of like Jordan still had something to prove in in a way that like that stage of is this comeback legit? We we knew he was going to be like at least all-star player, but is, is this comeback really legit? Are they legitimate title contenders? So it's it's an interesting time for him to... Uh, rag on Steve Kerr and Tony Kukoc just simply for not being there for the first title run. Uh, now, for sure, I mean, if if Kerr, as it's kind of portrayed in the documentary, if Kerr was acting like he kind of owned the place, which honestly, it's kind of hard to uh, imagine that from Steve Kerr. But you never right. know. He's more. <laughs> he's younger, more more brash, maybe. Um, you know, when when that sequence started they started airing practice footage and i thought oh man i, I was kind of tensing up and getting ready because i thought we were going to see footage of the actual punch and how that went down because they had some grainy practice footage going on but no in terms of you know how this is perceived in public perception i think to the basketball fan you already kind of knew about this most well i, I would say not to the casual basketball fan, but to the fans that are already listening to basketball podcasts and things like that. I, I think it's pretty well known that Jordan had this this fight with Steve Kerr. It's not the first time this is coming out in the press. Uh, there will be a lot more casual fans now that learn of this. So it will be interesting to see that reaction. But again, I think this is an instance where yeah, it's it's out of line, especially when you compare it with that whole sequence with Scott Burrell, where it's more like older brother type of stuff. Uh, it's out of line, but I think 
you know, Jordan admits that he he calls up Steve Kerr after the practice and apologizes, which is very reasonable. They get right back into it, and Kerr mentions that he earned Jordan's respect that day, and they really didn't have issues after that. Um, so I think this, at the end of the day, kind of builds on Jordan's legacy of how competitive he was and how alpha he was in practice. And this shows maybe maybe a downside of that is that he went a little extreme in this case. But I, I don't see Jordan taking a, a huge hit off of this. What, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. Same thing. It, it falls in line with the rest of the documentary, how um, much of a competitor he was. And also he apologized to Steve Kerr, too, and they patched it up. Um, I can see if this was an issue. Like, he was just like, well, Steve, you deserved it. Luckily, I didn't knock you out, you know, unconscious. Um, but, you know, he, he felt bad about it. Um, so there was remorse. And so they squashed as well. And Steve Kerr loves Michael Jordan. He, I mean, he's just loyal to them. Um, so the... I think that will have no stain on his reputation. Um, one of the things that kind of bummed me out about this episode is that there was only a taste of Reggie versus Michael. Yeah. Um, and I, <laughs> I think that's I just, episode nine. I know. And I just think, I hope that episode is really about that because again, I'm going to refer to another documentary. And I'm sure I'll re I'll mention it next week. Um, winning time. Um, another excellent documentary, mm -hmm. specifically about Reggie Miller, about his rivalry with the New York Knicks. But it goes to Michael, too. And just yeah. the relentless competitor you see of Reggie Miller as well. Because, I mean, with Reggie, it's interesting because he will tell you that he's not the best basketball player in his family. His sister is, Cheryl Miller. And that he was always kind of second best to her. And so he always kind of had a point to prove you know, on the court. So it's going to be very interesting to see that dynamic because really – We've, the only rival that we really heard of Michaels in depth is Isaiah Thomas. Um, other than that, even with the Knicks, it, while it was highly contested, it wasn't like we didn't really hear too much. Like, I don't know, John Starks wasn't in the documentary. Um, mm -hmm. Really, even with um, Charles Oakley, we've heard very little from him as a, as a Nick. Um, yeah. Just in terms of how contentious that robbery is. So I hope, you know, with the Pacers, that we just really. Get a lot of just footage, a lot of just how much Michael hated Reggie Miller, um, because he was the irritant. Um, he was the ultimate kind of you know player that taunted Michael. And if they're cool now, uh, Reggie, you know he loves Michael Jordan now. But I just back then, I just really want to see how contentious that rivalry is, and we we only got a taste of it in episode eight. Yeah, and it's kind of one of those conspiracies that I think Pacers fans have sour grapes about so to speak that Jordan got a lot of calls in the playoffs that the Pistons or I'm sorry the Pacers were the really better team as Reggie Miller says he he feels they were the better team and they just got beat maybe off of some technicalities with how they were uh, calling some of the games but it'll be interesting to see that story unfold again next week I, I think you're absolutely right. And it's it's kind of interesting because I, I was kind of thinking to myself, remembering those 90s Pacers teams, which were a lot of fun. I mean, I think especially like earlier on when they had Chris Mullen. I mean, that was a, that was a cool team, um, kind of almost built like the modern day Warriors, but in, in kind of a 90s style. Um, but it's it's interesting comparing the Pacers versus this Bulls team also to the Pacers that was a rival for you know 
the 15 minutes of Roy Hibbert fame uh, right. that kind of <laughs> was a big rival to the Heat for like two years in the playoffs. I mean, very similar, like had guys who could do stuff on the perimeter. They were big, they were physical, they were tough on the inside, good rebounding teams. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see how teams, um, I guess, kind of the ethos of these teams kind of repeat over time. And I think that you could make an argument that there's, and of course, I, I did no diving in on this. I'm just recalling what I've watched in, in playoff basketball. But but I think there's like a, a deep dive there that you could you could certainly say that's the ethos of of these Pacers teams that have had success. Yeah, I uh, totally agree with you. Um, before we wrap things up, um, anything else you wanted to mention about episode eight? Man, you know, I think it, it was cool seeing the BJ Armstrong rivalry. To be honest, I, I have a little bit of a, a negative opinion of BJ Armstrong. Um, I, I don't know. I think he, he thinks he's a little bit bigger than he is. Um, I agree. <laughs> I, I don't know. I'm, I'm probably not putting that very eloquently. Uh, so, I, I mean, I really, I think the documentary blew up that Hornets series a little bit bigger than it actually was. Uh, I mean, I think it was maybe like when the fly bites the horse on the butt and the horse whips its tail at it, you know? It was, <laughs> I mean, it was like a drop in a bucket, really. Um when you look at that series as a whole and how that actually transpired, I, I don't think that one loss was a huge deal. I mean, good for BJ Armstrong that you had a good game and all that. And it is an interesting narrative that he was a former bull, of course, but really, I mean, that, that was child's play for that bulls team uh, in comparison to what they later came up against, especially. Uh, But again, I I think overall with these two episodes, I'm, still a little unsatisfied in a way about what we're getting from the 98 season. I think as you texted me while we were watching it, I do think the the Scott Burrell stuff was awesome. I think the Steve Kerr stuff was well done. Uh, even though we knew some of that, I think for the casual fan, that was very well done. Very cool to see that laid out in the documentary. Um, so I think my, my favorite thing of these episodes was seeing how Jordan utilize that defeat from the magic to fuel that 72 and 10 season that they had in 96 and, and how he was able to get to work the next day after they were defeated and really come in in tip top shape for that 96 season. Um, but I still, I still am just begging internally for more of that raw 97, 98 season footage. Um, but I think I think these were great episodes. I'm not I'm again, I'm not bashing the documentary. Um, what were your thoughts on these? Where, what are your kind of last takeaways? Yeah, I feel you, man. Um, we're on the same page. I, I think the anticipation and the excitement was of the raw footage of the last season, 1998. And so far, we've in order to really extend this documentary, there's been a lot of footage from the first run of the bulls like this footage i've never seen before um Mm -hmm. that's been just as important as the footage from the last dance to me so i'm you know i'm wondering where that footage came from as well so uh that almost seems just more important um just going back through all the kind of the history there so i agree with you um hopefully with nine and ten and and and, um 
there's been you know discussion um, throughout the area of this documentary that ten um, has been, been a mad dash to complete that episode. So um, mm. just hoping that we see I'll just, a lot more footage from just the last because the timelines are matching up. So we're kind of given a collision of timelines. So hopefully nine and ten we see a lot more raw footage, a lot more just you know maybe anger frustration about facing Reggie Miller. Um, there's a lot more just footage. Um, just of Michael Jordan's opinion of Karl Malone and John Stockson. That's going to be interesting, too, because we haven't really seen that as a rivalry too much in terms of their opinions of each other. Um, I'm very interested to see if Karl Malone's going to be in this documentary. I didn't see him in the preview. Um, so mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if him or John Stockson's going to be in this documentary just to get their opinion as well. So I think I'm on the same page as you are. Yeah, yeah, and it is cool. They're doing a great job of the reveal at the end of the episode. Like you see... I mean, it's almost like wrestling in a way. Like you see Reggie Miller come out right. at the end of episode eight, like he's like his theme music is playing or whatever, and he's running right. out of the back, and you know he's like, "I'm I'm gonna retire, Michael Jordan." Boom! End of the episode. <laughs> so it it is a very dramatic, very theatric how they're doing that. I think they're doing a great job of those lead-ins. It'll kind of make it fun to to rewatch it. And it's cool because these these reveals are, I mean, NBA legends. I mean, guys, guys that everyone knows about. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, so I think that's going to wrap up our show, man. Um, again, you can catch us on all the streaming platforms, um, Anchor, Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. Um, you can email us at triple-double-podcast at gmail.com. Uh, leave us a rating, uh, positively, negatively on iTunes, and find us on Facebook. Just type in triple-double-podcast. Um, so right now we're going to go to an interview with uh, J.J. Buck. Um, he is the host of the Morning Drive on 95.9 FM and AM 610 D Sports Animal in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, he's going to give his thoughts on the documentary as well. So for uh, Matt Thomas, I am Justin Goodrum. We will see you next time. Peace. All right. Now we have this week's guest. He is the host of the Morning Drive on 95. 95- Point nine FM and 610 D Sports Animal. Um, his radio show airs 7 to 10 a.m. Mountain Time um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Um, we welcome JJ Buck onto the show. Thanks for joining us, JJ. Uh, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Good, good. Um, we just wanted to have you on um, just because um, we're kind of a little bit old, old fogies here. <laughs> we're in our 30s. <laughs> um, we kind of grew up with uh, Michael Jordan, kind of like you know, as the main sports idol, you know, growing up, you're, a little, you're on the kind of the younger side. So we just want to kind of get a kind of a, a little bit of a younger perspective on how you viewed the, the Last Dance uh, documentary. What's your opinions of it so far? Uh, negatives, positives? Well, I'm. it is a generational documentary, and it's, I think it's fine if you recognize it's your Jordan memoirs because he did – you know, own the rights to that footage in, in 98. But I think it is it's fascinating because I was 10 years old for that final championship season. So in my mind, you know, there's bits and pieces of, I remember as a kid watching the postseason and I understood the bulls, but you know, it wasn't until situations like this, you start learning about the turmoil and Jerry Krause and the fact that you had a team that would win six NBA championships and potentially go into a season announcing Phil Jackson's not coming back. So it's been definitely a, a great history lesson for you know, a basketball fanatic and basketball fans, but I'm right there with you in terms of it's generational. 
because you know Jordan, I do believe he is the goat. Even someone that's been right there in the you know the prime Kobe, prime prime LeBron eras. You know, but what we're seeing is um, a, a lot of the stuff that we see now, and people maybe criticize athletes for and the sensitivity sensitivity on social media. Uh, it's just it, it's a carryover from that era. You know, Jordan. What's standing out to me, and I'm interested to see what you guys think about this too, is he heard and saw absolutely everything. He just didn't mm. have a like a Twitter to respond. He just happened to do it in the box score. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, just really, I think, just took um, criticism to heart, even made up his own controversies to uh, motivate him uh, on the court. Uh, Matt, did you have a question? No, I, I think you make a great point, JJ. And I think, um, you know, it'd be interesting to see if, social media would kind of maybe put Jordan too far on the spectrum of obsessing over criticism. Like if that would be a negative impact to him or if he would be, you know, Jordan on steroids, so to speak. I mean, if it would fuel him even more to see more of what fans are saying and that kind of thing. I think that's a, a question that we just kind of naturally wonder about Jordan since it was a different era. Yeah, and I think we saw that tonight in the episodes of the documentary is, you know, the, the LeBradford Smith story where the dude didn't say anything, but Jordan, you know, made something up in his mind to attack. And he's just, you know, he was built that way. No matter what happened, he was going to find a way to fuel his fire. You know, if George Carl happened to say hi to him at that restaurant they were eating at, you know, during the the 96 finals there, he would have probably then came out and said, how dare George Carl talk to me in the, in the middle of the NBA finals. I don't care for North Carolina buddies. We need to go out there when competing on the court. And I just think, you know, that's really what we're seeing is we've heard about it. And you talk about the, the generations you're seeing it firsthand, you know, the way Jordan was able to, you know, build up the motivation he needed to achieve the level of greatness that, you know, burned inside him. Agreed. Totally. Now, Jay, oh, go ahead, Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. I just saying, yeah, totally agree. And uh, I think you're spot on there. I think there's there's nothing George Carl could have done right in that situation. There, I think Jordan is such a master of kind of manipulating things to create competitive drive. Exactly what you're saying there, JJ. Now, JJ, I wanted to ask you. Um, Jordan was really concerned about his image in terms of him just looking like a jerk in this documentary, but do you think the opposite has happened to me? He seems more human. This seems more like a um, person you can relate to as opposed to just kind of this um, almighty sports figure. Yeah, I, I definitely got a chuckle out of that comment when it came out before the documentary era, Jordan being worried about people viewing him differently. I think that's one of the reasons people like Jordan so much is because he has that edge and it's something that a lot of people attack today's players for not having like they're too friendly you know, how, how can you be working out with someone in the offseason why aren't you going out there and trying to kill them 24 7 and i think this is just kind of reinforcing some of the lore and stuff that people put jordan up there as you know the go is they like that side about him they like that killer instinct and i think he has absolutely been humanized um the a lot of the the stuff about his father um is very eye-opening and i think um these episodes did a really good job of addressing that time away from the game. I know some people were concerned 
maybe you weren't going to get a true story because there's a lot of rumors and people are wondering, is it gambling? You know, is that why he was away from the game? And, you know, just listening to that story and, and the way it weighed on him, um, I think that actually is probably more just, you know, innuendo and rumor than anything actually was there in terms of, you know, Jordan being suspended by David Stern. Cause I actually look at it and, and think that David Stern would have done the opposite. And if Jordan was in trouble, would have done anything to keep him in the league. So I think we did see, you know, the, the loss of Jordan's father weigh on him to that point, hearing those stories about rumors and connections. Was it his fault that his father got murdered that, you know, did push him away from the game? Agreed. Totally. JJ, um, one of the points that Justin and I have been talking about over our past few recap episodes is uh, the amount of time that they've spent on this documentary kind of building up uh, to this Last Dance season. And I just wanted to get your thoughts. Uh, in, in our last episode, we kind of talked about maybe a more appropriate title for this documentary and maybe our one small criticism of this because – I mean, let's be honest, we, Justin and I are both thrilled that this is out, as most basketball fans are, or I would say just about all basketball fans are. Um, we, you know, we we kind of thought a more appropriate title for this documentary would be like the Jordan Bulls or something like that, in that they're spending a lot of time building up the origins of players. It kind of seems like something built for this newer generation rather than being specifically just focused on the last dance, as the title suggests. What are your thoughts on kind of the title of the documentary and are you pretty happy with how it's being put out um, or would you have liked to see a little, a little more focus on a certain era? Well, I, I think the, the last dance is a way to rebrand it and, and get people thinking it, it's not more of the same. Cause I, I know a lot of people that lived through that era, like it was their prime sports viewing years might, might not be shocked by a lot of the stuff that is going on because they were the people living it, reading those stories on a daily basis. So, so I think that, you know, the last dance was more to um, try to drum up, Hey, maybe this is, is something different. It's really one of the first times we've seen a, a documentary of this scale with Michael Jordan involved um, specifically when it comes to the Chicago bulls, but I'm with you. It's, it's been a much more of a, the bulls Jordan era. I'm good with that because I absolutely love the way it's done. Um, I haven't, had too much of a problem with the back and forth because I think for the most part um, they've they've done a good job of of the parallels of you know, jumping to the '98 season and then going back in time and you know how those moments built up to that. Um, I, I love the origin stories myself, so I'm a fan of the overall documentary, the the way it's put together. I think it, it's been unique and it has been, um, at least from my standpoint, pretty easy to follow. But it, it is a bit of a misleading title because it still is. You know the Jordan era and the Jordan story of the Chicago Bulls. Do you see um, the generational gap between kind of the players that are admired today, Durant, LeBron, Steph Curry, um, kind of seeing that gap kind of decrease now that this documentary is out? Because ESPN's put out other um, documentaries about the Bad Boy Pistons, um, Lakers, Celtics. Um, this really kind of great material of the history of the NBA. Um, that didn't get that much love compared to this. Um, do you see perhaps younger fans kind of going back in the kind of libraries and checking those out to kind of get more of an appreciation of the league? Yeah, I think, you know, basketball fans are using this time uh, to really analyze 
the game because it's all we got. I mean, we're hyped up for a documentary when we should be watching the NBA playoffs. So I think if you're a fan of the game, a fan of the sport, you are you're using this time to, to look back at some of those teams. Heck, tonight I was sitting there going, man, we had Shaq and Penny young, but that Magic team, they didn't achieve anything. Gary Payton and Sean Kemp coming up short. Of course, you know, we'll get to see the you know, soon, you know, the interactions with the Jazz, but, you know, so many great teams coming up short in this era, you know, that it, it's definitely an eye-opener. Uh, you go back in history, you look at that those bad boy Pistons teams. I think Isaiah Thomas might have said it in one of the last documentaries, but, you know, he feels like they're one of the most overlooked teams of that era because we kind of just think of the 80s as, you know, the the last bit of the, the Celtics-Laker rivalry, and then, boom, the 90s hit it, and it was Chicago Bulls, but you, you had the Detroit Pistons in there. So I, I definitely did think this is, you know, opening eyes and kind of the history books for basketball in this time to really look at what built up to the, the Jordan era. Cause I think there's, and when you're the greatest of all time and you've got this, this myth and, you know, he, he deserves to, to have all these legends about him in the game. Sometimes you think probably that Jordan never lost a playoff series or, you know, he, he just showed up and, and they won absolutely every single game. And you realize, you know, he had the climb, he had to build himself up uh, to beat those teams in the East where there's the Knicks and the Pistons. He did need some help, which he didn't do him by himself. You know, Scotty Pippen, uh, right. was named one of the 50 best players of all time at one point yes, in time. Correct. So, yep. so, mm-hmm. Dennis Rodman came in. He just, Jordan just never left Chicago. Those guys happened to arrive with him. Uh, so I, I think, you know, it's, it's opening some eyes. It's definitely allowing people uh, a time to look back and just see uh, the eras because, you know, to your point, you're talking about Steph Curry, Kevin Durant. Um, the last dance was quite a long time ago. And, you know, Jordan's still such a huge figure. But guys now, they're goats Kobe. And, and so we're already seeing another gap in there. So I think that's also one of the reasons, you know, Jordan did want to push this out is to have a bit of a reminder like, all right, guys, I know you, you saw the Kobe era. LeBron is still in his prime right now, but I am the jump man. Yeah, I think you make a, a lot of great points there. Um, you know, and kind of feeding off of what you just related, uh, you know, there's an article that came out in the New York Times uh, right after episode one and two aired that uh, Mark Stein contributed on the article. I can't remember the name of, of the uh, main author of the article, but anyway, they were saying, uh, just kind of highlighting that Jordan's production company is involved with this. And, and of course, he. Um, has you know some ownership of of that footage from that season, so of course it makes sense. How much of I guess the way to ask this would be: um, Do you feel like this documentary is tainted at all for you, knowing that Jordan's production company is is uh, just in the mix so much on this and has their hands in this so much, or? Um, do you feel like there is any other perspective you'd like to get like away from that production company? I definitely think you have to have a little bit of that, you know, as I've kind of called them the Jordan memoirs. So you, you need an understanding of where this is coming from. So it's, you know, not probably not going to be the hardest hitting stuff, but I, I think they've done a good job of, you know, letting people state their, side of the story. And I think the biggest part of that was, you know, kind of the Isaiah Thomas dream team, Detroit Pistons stuff, and and then seeing Jordan and how they've been able to have the, the videos play. I think seeing some of that real time reaction has been 
really key. So it's not they don't necessarily you know tee these guys up and then say, oh, we're going to ask you about this question that uh, you know Isaiah Thomas answered, and this is what he said. You know, kind of getting that live reaction, I think, has added to some of the rawness of it. Um, but with that, you know, being said, knowing that this is you know, coming from a Jordan angle uh, overall. Um, I guess got uh, one more question, and I'll let uh, Matt uh, take it away. Um, has have you seen the opinion of Michael Jordan? The perception of him changed through through this documentary on social media that you observed. Um, have you kind of noticed um, any negatively or positively kind of his public persona uh, maybe taking a hit from this? Or do you think um, people are kind of respecting kind of his honesty where he's coming from? I mean, we're seeing Jordan angry, um, cuss, um, just seem just more just like a kind of a regular person. And that can go either way on the days of social media. It could backfire. It could work to his advantage. Um, what are your own personal thoughts and what have you seen on social media? Uh, I think if anything, this Jordan documentary is just cementing whatever side you are on, and then also, you know, highlighting that it's going to be generational, and you should be a stand for your era. And you can acknowledge, all right, Jordan is the greatest of all time, but I would, I love if you're the guy that's saying, hey, let's put Kobe there, or let's put LeBron in that argument, because I think that's what keeps the sports alive, keeps spirit going you know, gets debate, you know, why people want to talk about this constantly, you know, why we're going back and forth right now. So I think it has definitely opened some eyes, but more so than anything, it will just cement your opinion of him in whatever side you're on. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much for, for being here with us, JJ. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you kind of a, a hard segue here into Lobo's men's basketball. All, all of us are, uh, Lobos fans or Justin and I are for sure. Uh, and we know that you cover them, uh, you know, to put it lightly, this last season was a pretty big disappointment for the Lobos. A lot of stuff that unfortunately happened off the court, uh, kind of affected that or, or greatly did affect that. Um, what are your thoughts, um, into this upcoming season? I know obviously we have coronavirus, um, so we're not sure, if the season's going to be starting on time, things like that. But do you have any inside uh, perspective as to how the Lobos might look to bounce back this next season? Well, in terms of recruiting, I think Paul Ware and the staff have done a great job. When you look at uh, the players they were able to bring in, just the two signings they've had in the past week. Um, but but I'll start with you know Paul Ware. And last year, he gave guys an opportunity to take the lead, and they let him down. Uh, Jaquan Lyle, Carlton Bragg, um, he wanted them to take control. And those guys made some big-time mistakes and hurt them on the basketball court. Because you know, Jaquan Lyle was been with Paul Weir since he arrived at UNM. And I think some people kind of forgot that because he had the red shirt year, then he was hurt, and then he finally came on the court. So those two had a, a long relationship, three years of trust, and he wanted Jaquan Juan to be a leader on this team, take over on the court. And while the first half of the season it was working because he was scoring in their winning games, I think it, you saw some of that leeway he gave the players. Um, it hurt him at the end. You know, you you you're throwing a party when your team's on the road. The missteps of, of Carlton Bragg in the season after he got a second chance with the offseason stuff that 
went on with J.J. Caldwell and Carlton Bragg that came out. So I think he, he put trust in the guys to kind of be a player's team and they let him down this season. I think you know he learned a lot from this experience, and I expect we'll see a different Lobo team uh, just with the characters of the players and also the expectations of Paul Ware. I think he realized that you know, he, he does need to lay a better foundation. You know, I, I believe last year's team had expectations, but it wasn't as as stern as some people might expect for a college basketball team. But So I think we're going to see more of that early and often from Paul Ware, a buy-in team chemistry, while talented players will get to showcase themselves if they buy in to the team concept. And I think with the recruiting that they're able to do, that you know they brought in players that are going to mesh a lot better. I think there's more role players on this team uh, with a com- combination of potential star, you know, just star players that, or I should say, uh, leaders, not necessarily star players just yet. Uh, we'll see, but you know, guys that will mesh a lot better uh, with Paul Weir's attitude and ideas and you know i'm expecting a, a good season fingers crossed if uh, we can get on the court and see some basketball this year well jj thanks for joining us um is there any plugs um, anything you want to just um just state how what you're working on especially during this um, kind of pandemic time um what are you up to these days besides the radio show well, I just want to say, you know, the radio show is still rolling. You know, we're very thankful for uh, Cumulus uh, in, in this tough time uh, to give us this opportunity to be a part of a uh, local community, a you know, local radio uh, morning in the afternoons uh, on the Sports Animal. As you mentioned, we're on 7 to 10 a.m. Uh, my co-host, Jeff Sibieta, you know, we're, we're just trying to tell stories, too. Um, a lot. We've, we've been able to uh, uh, talk with people, tell how, how they're helping out during this time or reminisce um, with some good stuff. Uh content wise and we're working hard just trying to be uh, a part of the community and uh, try to have that normalcy in the day um and yeah man just rolling along and hoping that uh, stuff comes back but also understanding you know uh, this is a time that none of us have ever experienced in our lives and probably will never again so just just being safe um and wishing for the best for everyone well uh, thanks jj for joining us really appreciate it stay safe thanks jj Oh, thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate you having me on.